It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. A lot of ground to cover, as always, on the fastest 60 minutes of radio. Uh, as you've been following along today, or if you're just uh, tuning in for the first time, uh, President of the United States spoke to the nation today, and we're going to break that down in a little different way. Uh, we'll talk about some of the things he did and didn't do, how he did it. Uh, then I want to share with you a couple of things to maybe think again about, uh, things we think we know that maybe we don't know, uh, all as we get uh, rolling here on KSL this morning. Uh, as uh, most of you have been following along uh, over the past week, of course, there was the taking out of the Iranian uh, military general, uh, uh, Nani, and, uh, of course, the promised retaliation from the Iranians did come. It was interesting to note a lot of people had expected that the retaliation would come uh, mostly through their proxy fighters and terrorist groups that they uh, historically have worked through. Uh, some people were surprised last night that the attack came in a conventional way, conventional weapons, uh, conventionally coming from uh, I- Iranian territory into Iraq. Uh, so there were some surprises yesterday uh, as uh, we saw this unfold. Uh, the continued surprises uh, are around the fact that there were no casualties on either the Iraqi side or the American side uh, at these two military bases. And uh, we also know that uh, there was uh, some information uh, tipped off or uh, given to the Iraqis, which surely the Iranians knew uh, would immediately get to the American forces as well. So people were in bunkers and prepared. Uh, and so there was no, there were no casualties there. Uh, and then, of course, everyone was waiting for the response uh, based on the rhetoric from the president. Uh, no one was quite sure where he would go. And so we want to break that down just a little bit today. Uh, first, I think it's important to note the setting. The president chose to do this in the grand hallway at the White House as opposed to the Oval Office. The Oval Office has been the scene of, of some of the most serious and somber messages from our presidents, and he chose not to do that. So that in and of itself was sort of a de-escalation signal in my view as you look at constructing that kind of speech and that kind of message to the country, location matters and setting matters. And it was also significant, I thought, that the president, uh, before the president entered the room, uh, that uh, there were many of the military generals, national security advisors, the vice president, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, flanked the president on either side of the podium uh, when the president entered the room. And so that setting, I think, was also significant. Part de-escalation message, uh, not doing it from the Oval Office, but also the fact that he had all of his team around him. Uh, This has been an administration that many have chided for their lack of unity within uh, the organization, that there were always a lot of battles uh, between some of the uh, previous Secretary of State and General Mattis and uh, a host of others who occupied important Security Council seats. 
uh, and advisors to the president. So uh, having all of them there as a show of unity, I think, was also an important message, a subtle message, but an important one sent out to the country. Uh, if you were listening earlier this morning, we started to break down what the objective on this kind of speech is, having written these kinds of political speeches to me, there were three major audiences that the president was after. Uh, he needed to speak to the American people, first and foremost, he needed to be reassuring and confident. He also needed to to make sure that there was a uh, a clear indication that he was in charge, that he was doing things deliberately and not impulsively. And I think it was one of the better speeches that the president has given. It was very well crafted. He spoke to the American people. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, he also uh, spoke to our enemies which I, which to me was the second criteria. You have to speak to the enemy and not just to the Iranians. This was to all terrorist organizations. And actually, I want to play a little bit of that right now because this, uh, to me, was probably uh, the strongest case point uh, in the context of the speech. So let's to the, listen to the president as he talks about how he is not going to let Iran, an enemy, uh, really proliferate weapons, weapons of mass destruction, and more terror. Nations have tolerated Iran's destructive and destabilizing behavior in the Middle East and beyond. Those days are over. Iran has been the leading sponsor of terrorism and their pursuit of nuclear weapons threatens the civilized world. We will never let that happen. So very clear message there from President Trump. We will never let that happen and as I said before, that that was an important message uh, to Iran and to others that the United States will not let that happen uh, on his watch. Uh, he proceeded to, to lay out the case uh, in terms of what was going to happen. And one of the things that has not uh, gotten a lot of coverage coming out of the speech, which I think was also very important, uh, he said that they would impose strict sanctions, new sanctions, additional strict sanctions against Iran. Here's what the president said. The United States will immediately impose additional punishing economic sanctions on the Iranian regime. These powerful sanctions will remain until Iran changes its behavior. In recent months alone, Iran has seized ships in international waters, fired an unprovoked strike on Saudi Arabia, and shot down two U.S. drones. Iran's hostility substantially increased after the foolish Iran nuclear deal was signed in 2013, and they were given $150 billion, not to mention $1.8 billion in cash. Instead of saying thank you to the United States, they chanted death to America. Then Iran went on a terrorist spree, funded by the money from the deal, and created hell in Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, and Iraq. The missiles fired last night at us and our allies were paid for with the funds made available by the last administration. Okay, so there's the, uh, that was sort of the political shot uh, within the context of the speech, uh, definitely uh, poking at the Obama administration and the Iran nuclear deal and the uh, billions of dollars that went to, Ir- to Iran that were subsequently used uh, to fund acts of terror and and some of their uh, operations, uh, not just in Iran and Iraq, but around the world. Uh, And so that's an important one. We're going to come back to that in uh, our next segment and break down the political ramifications and how do Democrats respond to this? How do Republicans respond to this? What happens uh, inside the House and the Senate? The president did invite the 
uh, Iranian regime and the Iranian people to the peace table to, to talk about a new deal. And, of course, if there is any sort of treaty uh, of any substance, that will have to go through Congress. And so how will that play out? Is there any appetite in Washington, especially during an election year, to have that kind of conversation? And and to me, this really boils down to what we really have to think again. A lot of people are exhaling today saying, OK, maybe maybe things are going to de-escalate here. Uh, to me, there's still a, a lot of cause for concern, not in the hand wringing. We're on a march to war uh, kind of thing, but really from a standpoint of now, what do we do? What happens next? And what's the strategy? Uh, we know we don't want to be engaged in protracted wars. We don't want to be the world's police force. But what is the proper role of America and the American military might? Uh, how can we help a region that has been faced with this kind of terror and trauma for for decades and generations and centuries? And, and how do we do that? I've actually got uh, Miles Hansen is going to join us at 1135 today. Uh, expert on Iran has been inside the rooms at the State House uh, and the White House uh, dealing with the the Gulf region, and and I want to step back with him and slow the news down a little bit and look at this from a little longer term perspective. So make sure you stay with us for eleven thirty five uh, as we have Miles Hansen uh, from Utah World Trade Center uh, joining us to to break that down just a, a little bit further. Uh, we're going to talk in this next segment about uh, kind of the the rhetoric of all of this, the politics of all of this, and how do we get leaders to make sure they are putting the interests of the country. First, uh, on a day where I, I think President Trump delivered probably one of the best speeches he's given as president. It was clear. It was concise. It was not full of a, a lot of angry rhetoric or uh, things that promote angst and fear and frustration. Uh, this was more commander in chief mode. I think the staff did a brilliant job preparing the text. Uh, I think he delivered it in the right way with the right tone. Uh, that's good for the country. That's good for peace in the world. Uh, And now the important thing I think that everybody is looking at is what comes next? What is the strategy and how does the country actually move forward? We'll continue our discussion on that. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. As I said, when we come back, we'll break down the speech itself and the communication strategies from not just President Trump, but from many presidents delivering a really critical speech like this. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today, uh, covering a lot of ground, obviously, on the national and international landscape. And uh, really curious, what's on your mind as you uh, woke up to the news and kind of went through uh, what happened last night in terms of a very conventional strike back from Iran? Uh, The president's comments this morning in a very disciplined, very scripted, very straightforward speech. Uh, What do you think it means? And what do you think is uh, coming next? Let us know what you're thinking on our KSL News Utah Community Credit Union text line, 57500. Again, 57500, Utah Community Credit Union text line. I want to know your take on what's happening and uh, what you think lies ahead uh, 
as I mentioned before, a lot of people are kind of exhaling. Uh, I think there's still much to be concerned about in terms of strategy, in terms of discipline, uh, in terms of making sure our, our troops are safe uh, and how we actually rocket all that, uh, all that forward. So I want to break down just for a minute, uh, just because uh, of my background in terms of writing these kinds of political speeches. Uh, we went through earlier the, the different audiences that the president was trying to address, the messages he was trying to send to uh, the American people, to our enemies, and to our allies around the world. And I think in terms of a political speech, the president hit all the buttons uh, on that one. Uh, president Trump obviously is is never going to be known for his soaring rhetoric. He's never going to be a Barack Obama or a Bill Clinton or a Ronald Reagan or a John F. Kennedy. Uh, that's just not his style and makeup and not his strength. And that's OK. We don't always have to have that in a president. Uh, this was a very straightforward speech uh, delivered, I think, as as well as President Trump can deliver a speech. And so I think there was some good discipline there. Uh, I always marvel and look at, you know, who were the, the writers, who, who was the staff working on this particular speech? You know, what, was it, what were the debates back and forth on language? Obviously, harsh language uh, against the Obama administration without naming them uh, in terms of money and the uh, previous Iran deal, the cash that went into Iran that, uh, of course, helped fund additional terrorism in the end. Um, also some very interesting invitations, uh, in terms of, uh, peace and prosperity and opportunity that was a message very much to the Iranian people and to the people of Iraq. Uh, we know there's been a full on propaganda campaign going on inside Iraq and Iran, uh, by the Iranian regime trying to galvanize, uh, hatred towards America. Uh, and so I think the president did a nice job of, of navigating his way through that, uh, as we were sitting here in the studio this morning and, and waiting, of course, the speech was supposed to begin at 9, uh, didn't begin until about 9.13. So there's you're always wondering, what is going on behind the scene? Are they making a last-minute change to the text? Does the teleprompter have to be updated? Uh, that was go- what was going through my mind, is what is happening? And then as I listened to the speech, uh, uh, all speeches, uh, you know, whether it's a president or a senator or a, a member of Congress or a leader of a business, there, there always is a last-minute change to a speech, something you kind of write in the margins or something that gets flipped onto the te- teleprompter at the very last second. And we've seen some of those uh, moments in our history. Uh, Ronald Reagan, I think, of course, has the uh, the most famous uh, in his speech before the Berlin Wall, where his last-minute edition was... Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. So of course, that was uh, President Reagan, again, an important line, what became a historic line, a, a really iconic line uh, in a very important speech at a very critical time. And as I was listening to President Trump today, and I was uh, still thinking through, why was there that delay? Why was there a 13-minute delay to the start of this when he already had the vice president and his, and his key military and uh, advisors out there uh, waiting for it to begin why was there a delay? What was there? And then there was one line that I heard, and I thought, that's a very President Trump line. I wonder if that was the last-minute change. This is what it was. Our missiles are big, powerful, accurate, lethal, and fast. All right. So if you if you take all the rest of the, the text of the speech, all very disciplined, very very crisp, very clean. Uh, and then you have something that 
is something you would imagine hearing President Trump say at a political rally uh, in front of a, you know, a big crowd. You know, our our weapons, our missiles are are big. They're powerful. They're accurate and they're fast. (laughs) Uh, That's a very President Trump line. Uh, And it just it just had my spidey antenna up just a little bit saying, I wonder if that's what he threw in there. Uh, at the at the very end. And, and then it was also interesting, that if you look at the, the text, right after he delivered that line about our missiles being big and powerful and accurate and fast, he immediately pivoted. And it seemed like he was going back to the script and back to, we have all of these capabilities, but we don't want to use them. And I thought that was a significant part of the speech where, again, in, in a little bit of the what we've become accustomed to in terms of the kind of the Trump bravado, uh, bravado, his uh, his style, his New York style to the, to the whole thing. Uh, and then to immediately pivot back to. But we don't want to use those. We want peace. And we're committed to that. And again, an important message to our allies around the world that the president is not looking uh, to escalate things. The president is not looking to use this uh, for anything uh, other than American interests and American security. And so I think all of those things were, were real critical to the president today. Again, overall, I would rate that as a very effective speech for President Trump, very well crafted, uh, delivered as good as President Trump is ever going to deliver a speech, stayed on message. And I think he delivered the right message, again, to the right audiences, to the American people, to our allies around the world and to our enemies around the world. Uh, I think he did a pretty effective job of, of doing that today. Uh, and now we have to look to what comes next. Uh, many people on the left have criticized the president, uh, looked at uh, does he have a strategy relating to the Middle East. And we're going to discuss that coming up here at 1135 with Miles Hansen, who has deep uh, knowledge and insight in terms of Iran, uh, been a specialist uh, at the State Department and within the White House uh, on the Gulf and on Iran and uh, we'll get his perspective coming up here at 1135. You don't want to miss that. Uh, so, one, make sure you've got your KSL News Radio app downloaded, sponsored by Any Hour Services. Make sure you've got that so you can follow along. If not, you can always get the podcast there as well uh, so you don't miss a thing in these important conversations. Uh, so the political side of things gets gets interesting to me uh, in that you had a lot on the left who were criticizing the president as being impulsive as opposed to being decisive. So that's an interesting argument. Uh, many of them leading up to last night, uh, especially those that are, are running for president on the Democratic side, still a very crowded field, 14 people still in the game there. Uh, they were all talk, using words like reckless, uh, using like uh, words like brink of war and uh, dangerous. Those are, those are all the descriptors that they were trying to use. And then last night unfolds the president's speech today. And it's really interesting. Uh, there has not been a lot of response on the Democratic side. Most of them have only responded with uh, with a few tweets or a few social media posts. And most of them are along the lines of, we're praying for our troops. We're worried about our troops. We want our troops to be safe, uh, which is a great message, by the way. Uh, I'm all for that. But there, none of them are really saying, okay, we, we made a step forward or things have de-escalated a little bit today or can we pivot now? I think one of the real tests coming up for Congress will be if President Trump is able to begin working some sort of new deal with Iran. 
Is there any way in an election year that the politicians can set their political aspirations aside to have a serious conversation about what is best for the country? And can we get to that? Uh, and we'll continue to follow that here on KSL News Radio. Uh, we'll step aside for a bottom of the hour break. And when we come back, as I mentioned, Miles Hansen, CEO, president of World Trade Center Utah, will join us uh, on the line uh, to give us some perspective and insight into his experience with Iran and what should come uh, come up next for them. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion. Inside sources. Inside sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone. Great to be with you today, uh, continuing our uh, wall-to-wall coverage of uh, events happening in Iran and Iraq. Uh, President Trump's speech this morning, uh, we've been breaking that down in terms of message delivered. What does it mean and how do we move forward? Uh, And as always on this show, we want to make sure that we slow the news down. So often we get trapped in that instant certainty or that instant analysis uh, that prevents us from really getting the right kind of perspective on all of this. And so I'm very pleased to be joined uh, today by Miles Hansen. Miles is the president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah, uh, which is an extraordinary organization. Uh, They're about making Utah the crossroads to the world uh, and do some exciting things there in terms of our business and trade. And uh, we'll we'll break that down a little as well. Uh, But Miles also uh, most recently was the director of Gulf Affairs at the National Security Council in the White House, Uh, Also uh, was a staff aide in the State Department uh, for Near Eastern Affairs, uh, longtime observer and follower uh, of Iran. And uh, so, Miles, thanks for thanks for joining us. Thank you, Boyd, for having me on. And thank you for your coverage. This has been an important story over the past few days. Uh, And it's nice to have somebody like you who's willing to slow down, break it down and help help everybody understand. You know, what are the, the bigger picture uh, consequences and effects of what's happening out there in the world? Yeah, I, I, it's so critical. And, and I so appreciate your insight on all of this. You've been uh, just priceless to us last night as we were texting back and forth in the in the <laughs> in the wake of the missiles being launched and trying to to figure out what it means and what it was. And, and so I want to get into a couple of the things that you shared with me last night, because I think they're so important for listeners to understand. And And one of the things that you raised was sort of this internal challenge going on inside of Iran, also inside of Iraq, uh, in terms of who's in power and how the citizens feel about that. You mentioned there was a full-on you know, propaganda communication uh, push uh, to really galvanize uh, anger and uh, resentment towards the Americans. Tell, tell me what you know about that, and, and uh, it seems like this is something they, they do pretty regularly over there. both in Iran, but elsewhere in the region, and also in, in Europe, which can cause some problems for, for us and our European partners and allies. But what I think it's important to take a step back for a second. I know that Iran has been in the news for the past few days. What people may not be as aware of is over the past three or four months, we have seen an increase in anti-Iranian regime sentiment across the Middle East. Really unprecedented stuff. Um, in Lebanon, there have been anti-government protests. The government there is heavily influenced by and even in some aspects controlled by Hezbollah. 
which is a terrorist organization that was created by Iran in the 1980s and continues to look to Iran for its leadership and guidance. So now you have in Beirut over the past few months, tens of thousands of protesters uh, protesting against Iranian influence in Lebanon. And that has not happened to that scale since Hezbollah was created, you know, three decades ago. Wow. You have in Iraq very similar protests against Iran, so much so that Iraqi protesters in southern Iraq burned down the Iranian consulate there. And so consulate being like a, a satellite embassy in the southern part of the, of the country, you've had Iraqi protesters who burned it to the ground, who had a, a protesting against Iran's influence in Iraq. And then about six weeks ago, you had the most significant protests, anti-government protests in Iran since the Islamic Revolution in 1979. Mm. Protesters uh, burned, by, by many accounts, 100, over 100 Iranian banks in Iran. They uh, were very, very, uh, they attacked other government facilities. The Iranian government shut down the Internet for a number of days as they cracked down on these protesters in a more violent fashion than they've cracked down on any protests in 40 years. Some estimates say that 1,500 protesters were killed. Some say 600. The Iranian regime reports a lower number. And so over the past three months, what we've seen is a very strong anti-Iranian push and people being fed up with the uh, Iranian regime and the malign that they have had across the Middle East. Wow. And so that is a very important context to understand what's happened over the past few days in the past even 24 hours. Yeah. Because in that context is when the Trump administration chose to take out Qasem Soleimani, who has been the point person on fomenting this instability across the region. It was uh, a huge slap in the face to Iranian leadership. Uh, like we've talked about, Ayatollah Khamenei, who was the supreme leader, um, Qasem Soleimani was, was his right-hand guy. Right. He was the one that was, that was leading the charge, his top lieutenant, his top general. And we took him out very direct, and we immediately claimed uh, we took credit for that. Right. And so Iran had a very strong desire to respond, uh, to, to seek revenge, as they put it. And yet it was constrained by all these factors that I've been describing, the, the strong anti-Iranian yeah. sentiment, a really, really uh, bad Iranian economy. And so I think what we've seen over the past 24 hours of the missile attacks yesterday was a strong need by the, for the Iranian government and regime to respond directly before the killing of Qasem Soleimani. So that was their counterpunch, but they pulled the punch. Right. Because of these constraints that they face, um, both on public sentiment in Iran and elsewhere in the region, but also in an economic sense as well. So they, they, yeah. they knew that they could not get into a shooting war directly with the United States at this point. Right. Let, let me let me drill down on that just a little bit, because, I, again, I think that's so important for our listeners to understand is the, the dynamics of what the Iranians chose to do. Uh, and as you mentioned, these anti-Iranian government protests, whether it's in Lebanon, whether it's right in Iran, uh, very interesting. Uh, we were talking about this this morning as well in terms of the uh, Iranian citizens and their access to the the Internet and how restricted is that and what is the propaganda machine like and how are they trying to control that? Uh, and so that's raised a lot of the questions today. Uh, many of the accounts are saying, well, they you know, they they did pull the punch. They 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 did choose to, to hit dirt <laughs> instead of military assets and people. And it's one of those where I think we have to think through. 
the fact that it was probably that the Ayatollah probably had to think it through. You know, if I if I swing too big and land the punch, uh, the Americans may take my regime out. Uh, and uh, the alternative to that is if I if I don't do this correctly, uh, my own people may take me out because they're they're clearly not happy. The the sanctions, the economy, the crackdown, as you mentioned, are are all impacting the internals uh, inside of Iran as well. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I think um, you know that Khamenei knew that he had to save face, but that if he overextended himself, he could lose his head. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, this regime has proven that they are very good at surviving and that they are willing to, to take a loss, as they see it, in the short term in order to not to jeopardize the survival of the regime. And yeah. I think that's what we've uh, seen here with their response yesterday. Yeah, man, we see that in so many different places. Uh, the, that survival instinct is really strong in a lot of these totalitarian regimes. We see that in North Korea, that uh, there's sort of this, let's keep people angry enough uh, to, be, to be angry and need me to lead, uh, but not so angry that they topple me and, uh, and try something different. Uh, so we've got just about a we've got just about a minute left, Miles, and I, I wanted to give you a chance to just give us a, a little look ahead again from your perspective, uh, longtime follower, longtime intel in terms of what is going on and how this plays out in the in the Gulf and the Middle East. Uh, what do you what are the important things we should be watching for that we're currently not talking about as it relates to Iran and the Middle East? You know, I, th- I think moving forward, a couple things to to watch for are one for Iran's continued. Um, public diplomacy or public messaging push to try to use the attack to galvanize anti-American sentiment. Um, They are undoubtedly going to continue to push on this very hard. Uh, The question is, how much does it resonate in Iraq uh, with our European partners and allies? You know, of course, on the weekend, we saw uh, an Iraqi vote um, for U.S. forces to leave. It wasn't the full parliament. It was primarily the Shia uh, parliamentarians. You know, is there continued push to try to uh, get the Iraqi government to ask for U.S. forces to leave? And, and, and how does Iraq respond? That's one key thing to keep an eye on. The other one will be Iranian proxy attacks in Iraq, in Syria, in Yemen. Um, they have been escalating over the past several months. They've been you know, continuous for years, for, for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Do we see those increase? Over the next few months, as Iran continues to try to exact a price for the killing of Qasem Soleimani, do we see them kind of about where they are, in which case we'd say, you know what, it's everybody trying to, you know, hoping to get back to, you know, business as usual? Yeah. Or do we see a decrease in which the Trump administration, rightfully so, would say, look, we, we took out a key leader in these efforts. Mm-hmm. They have not been able to replace him and or they do not want to start a fight. They've been deterred. They've backed down in, in, a, in a way that's productive for, for U.S. interests. Yeah. And so those are things that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, and I think that that will help us understand what some of the longer-term implications are of this, this flare-up that we've seen over the past few days. Mm, wonderful. Miles Hansen, uh, CEO of World Trade Center Utah. appreciate your work there at the World Trade Center. We'll talk about that next time we get you on the show. Uh, but always appreciate your deep insight into what's going on in this region of the world and uh, your focus helping us really separate the rage from the reason uh, and help us all march forward in a positive way. Thanks, Miles. Thanks, Floyd. Happy to. Talk to you later.
All right. Again, that's Miles Hansen from World Trade Center, Utah. Love his perspective on all of this, having been in a lot of those rooms in the White House as part of that national security team. Uh, so a great insight there. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside. When we come back, final segment, uh, I'm going to give you the long-awaited uh, strategy for what you ought to start thinking about as you start looking at candidates up and down the ballot as we move into 2020. Stay with us. We'll be right back on KSL News Radio. <laughs> 